So if our truck's able to do $10,000 per week, which I like our trucks doing 10,000 per week is kind of my goal, about $3,000 a week per truck, and then times that by five, you know, that's $15,000 a week, and then times that by four, about 60,000 in profit a month. Owning a million dollar business is impressive at any age, but Mikhail Sant has done it by the age of 19. His trucking company, Sant Lines LLC, is a $1.1 million business. And that's just one of the five businesses he owns. I'm host Alex Freeman, and today on the Uplift Podcast, I'm getting Mikhail's insights on how to start a successful trucking company and quickly grow it to seven figures. We'll cover everything from startup costs and equipment to his time management strategies for running five businesses without getting overwhelmed. Sound like advice you need? I know I'm excited to hear these valuable success tips. Let's go meet Mikhail. Mikhail, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you've got a really impressive entrepreneurial resume for a teenager. Can you briefly share your story with our listeners and tell us when and why you started Santlines? Yeah, so it was back in 2021. I was out in uh, Texas. I was still a senior in high school, and I got an opportunity to go out to Texas to do some contracting and moisture inspection. And I was there with a buddy who we've always been business-minded together type deal. And we would sell shoes, clothing, all that. And he was in the same room. So it was like a perfect match because me and him got along great. And we just, all of our conversations every single night after we'd go work was just business. And so he told me, he's like, hey, you should look into getting into trucking, you know, with the logistics issue right now and all the shipping delays. And I was like, man, you're, you're crazy. I was like, what do you mean? Like go buy a semi truck? It's like, yeah, exactly. And go put a driver in it. And I was like, whatever. And then I started digging into it and I was like, started doing the research and I was like, man, I was looking at numbers. I was watching other truckers who are on, you know, YouTube and stuff. And I was like, who are owner operators and own companies. And I was like, man, this is actually like really profitable. And a lot of people don't talk about this because my point where I was looking at was all just real estate based. And I just ended up, uh, got home from Texas. Um, I started looking at trucks and I was on a FaceTime call with my girlfriend and I just said, look, I think I'm going to start a trucking company. And it's just kind of out of the blue and it just happened. And how did you get that that first capital raised to get Santline started? Yeah. So I did landscaping and I, I'm a photographer as like a kind of a, my side fund business. And I saved up about $75,000 when I was 18 and I just had that money and I didn't want to go to school. So I ended up saving all my landscaping money up and I was using it. I was planning on using it for something that was either a, a car or, you know, paying, paying for a business startup or something like that, you know, just to get something going in life. And I ended up just pulling the trigger on getting a truck. $75,000 is an, a very impressive amount of savings um, for, for anyone at any age, oh, yeah. uh, unfortunately and unfortunately. But if someone wanted to get started with a trucking company, but maybe doesn't have that amount of savings available to them, what, what kind of financing options might they be able to explore? Yeah. So I'm actually working on a TikTok right now about financing for commercial vehicles. Um, it's kind of complex because there's different financing gauges on every single type of bank you go with. They all have their different type of credit requirements. But what I can tell you is definitely go with a credit union. If you're starting a company, credit union is going to be your best bet. What you want to do is have your LLC, your EIN, everything set up that you need for your business to fully legally run go get a business account and then obviously make sure your personal credit is good standards, either like minimum 680, I would say is a good credit score to start getting like financing for commercial vehicles and stuff. And if you have a co-signer, that would be great if you have someone who has like a little bit better credit. And then from there, I luckily was able to get a seven, I had like a 737 or something credit score roughly when I started because I, I had a credit card right as I turned 18 uh, to start building it. And 
I had a car payment. And so once you have that type of uh, credit leverage, then you can start getting the truck that you want to apply for, whether it's a truck that you already have your eyes on or just like a general ballpark. And then you usually want to, how I did it as I went and found the truck, I already knew what I wanted. I came to an agreement with the seller. I said, Hey, let me know. Let me see if I can uh, get the truck. The reason I wanted, I wanted to build business credit. So I was like, Hey, I'll just take a super small loan out on the truck instead of paying all cash. So I can afford to just cash out on a trailer. And so I ended up uh, financing, I think it was like $10,000 for my first truck. And luckily, because the value that I had, the truck was worth a lot more than I was purchasing it for. And that helped me out. But for somebody to want to go get financing, that credit marker at 737 or like, you know, in the 700s or 680 minimum, like I said, have their LLC, their EIN, and then go to a credit union and then make sure that you're applying for a general, probably get pre-approved for a general market price for a semi-truck and make sure that the year is, and usually they require them to be 10 years or newer. And then once you have that all checked off and then you're pre-approved, then you can go talk to these sellers and then the bank will obviously make the final decision not based off the truck information. But that's probably the best bet, a credit union. And is the, is the truck the most expensive part of getting a trucking company off the ground? I would say yes and no, just because that is obviously your most expensive asset at the start of everything. But at the same time, the fuel and the driver pay and the insurance is actually probably the most expensive for your first week and month of running. Because my insurance rate right now, I pay over 100000 a year just in insurance for five trucks. But it's kind of crazy. I'm luckily hitting my year renewal right now and it's going to drop. But when I first started, I was like, man, I don't. I bought a truck now because you have to buy a truck before you can get insurance. Usually there's a few loopholes, but I don't want to go try that and get screwed over in the mean and like the long run. So I did it, you know, kind of the regulatory way. And so I got that and my insurance quotes were outrageous just to put me as a driver on the truck scrap, a CDL and everything. And it was just, yeah, outrageous. I'd say insurance is probably your biggest expense, but you don't have to pay in full. You're just going to want to make sure you get your trucks to work right as you get insurance. And you have to usually pay insurance for about a month before you can get your trucks on the road because DOT authority takes about a month to get approved after your insurance gets approved pretty much. Got it. So can you outline some of those what the what the overall kind of startup costs are yeah, that, that yeah, someone needs to be checking their boxes for, make sure they have the financing in place for. I can actually do one better, and I can give you my whole entire breakdown of what it cost me to start up. So oh, I love it. My truck cost me thirty two thousand dollars. I bought a trailer that was eleven thousand, but it came with tandem axles that I actually ended up selling for the same amount I paid for them. So it's really the payment I did was only ninety five hundred dollars, and so I was able to. Do thirty two thousand for the truck, and then ninety five for a reefer, which is a really good price because now that my same trailer is worth over thirty grand with inflation and whatnot. So that was forty one thousand five hundred for a truck and trailer. I had to spend about six thousand dollars in maintenance to get all like tires changed, just the reefer maintenance. That because it was a that's another reason I got a good deal on it was due to the fact that it did need some work on like the brakes and the suspension and whatnot. So that was all about six thousand dollars to get everything road ready. And then fuel for the first week was about $2,000, I want to say. So that's 2000 Then my insurance I had to pay down for the for a down payment and the first month was, I believe, $4,500. So that was a total of $54,000 right there, plus all my operating expenses when it came to our operating costs to get signed up with all the government program and the Department of Transportation, the FMCSA. That cost me about $950. I had a company help me out with that, and they were pretty pretty cheap. And that was a good deal because they got everything, all my permits handled and whatnot. And then you have to pay on top of that an IFTA registration and an IRP 
which is through your state's Department of Licensing, which is pretty much a license plate that allows you to travel for commerce through all you know 50 states, obviously lower 48, because we don't run through Canada to go to Alaska and we don't do Hawaii. So that was about $2,000 to get my account set up. I think it was 28 with the truck and getting all that set up with IFTA and you know first registration. So that was here now where I'm at getting everything ready to hit the road was about $57,750 to get the company started up. Wow. So you made mention of a lot of different steps in the process there Yeah. of, of getting the, the trucking company up and running. And some of them seem like, okay, I've made this huge cash outlay. If something happens with this, is that then like a loss? How, so what's the, what's the order that somebody should do these things in to yeah. kind of mitigate their risk? Yeah. So definitely first order of business would be definitely get your truck. The reason I say that is because you're going to want to make sure you get everything taken care of on your truck, whether, and, and your trailer, if you're going trailer, but you can actually own a trucking company without having a trailer. There's a freight that you can haul called power only. That's where you haul other companies trailers. And we actually have a truck that does that currently, but I would say, get your truck, get a, get everything set up. And on that, wise and then go to your department of licensing i should say then apply for your insurance get all your insurance quotes done then go through the D- the dol and the dot the fmcsa for say apply for your authority obviously your truck will be registered to your company and i'm talking in a sense that your llc is already created because that's a whole process in itself but isn't actually that complicated there's a lot of people that can you know do that so let's just say your if your llc is already created and then you would go uh, do the, all the paperwork for the FMCSA, get your operating authority, and that would happen as soon as your insurance becomes active. And that's why those steps kind of go hand in hand because you can apply for your authority before you get your insurance and you can wait three weeks and then pretty much do your insurance. And I waited like two weeks just because I didn't want them to say like, hey, there's no insurance information. It lapsed. And now you're going to get canceled and your authority has to be done again. So I ended up uh, just doing that, playing it safe. So get insurance and then apply for the authority and then your authority will become active. And then that's when you can go to the DOL and apply for your interstate plates, which is the IRP license plates and the IFTA, which is the international fuel tax that you have to be a part of. And then from there, you're pretty much good to go on the road. There's, I think, and then permits, of course, different states require certain permits, which I recommend going through a compliance company or a company like JJ Keller to get all those for you if you're going to be traveling through Kentucky, New York, and New Mexico. And then Oregon requires, if you're not an Oregon trucking company, you have to get a permit that's specialized just for Oregon every single time. That's pretty much the whole system that I did, and it's it worked out fine. And then you're going to get your DOT audit, which is going to happen about six months into owning your company. For me, because they were so backlogged with COVID, it was about nine months when they did my audit, and it was you know pretty regulatory. Just make sure your drivers have logbooks because they require FMCSA requires you to keep your logs, the electronic logbook. Unless your truck's older than a two thousand, then you can have paper logs, and you just want to make sure all of those for your driving records are all you know taken care of. And so that was pretty much the only real deal that I had to take care of. And now that we're all done with the audit and everything, it's pretty much just you know looking good to hit our first year and really just from that point on on second year really take over and and keep growing it and so we're looking at getting our next truck now having to do the same process over again so every time you get another truck you want to repeat the same process except you already have your insurance you already have your authority you don't have to repeat that all you do is go to licensing and get your irp plates and ifta and then make sure you pay your also your highway road tax and a lot of people forget about this the irs has a 2290 form that you have to pay which is just a heavy highway use road tax and so 
that's all the boxes that I can really think of that I checked off. And you just said you're you're looking to get another truck right now. You have five trucks currently. Yeah. When you go looking for another a new truck, what how are you finding those vehicles and making sure you're getting a good value on them? Yeah, so definitely a big thing. I when I first started, I didn't know what I was really looking for. I would just read reviews and see what engines were good. But now that I know the brands is a huge thing. So Freightliner, uh, Peterbilt, Kenworth, Mack, Volvo. I'm not a Volvo guy, but some people are. So those are the main trucks you'll see on the road. Freightliner is probably the most popular just because they're a little bit more affordable than Peterbilt and Kenworth, but they're quite reliable and get good gas mileage. So a lot of the bigger companies like Walmart use them. So my thing that I go into it is looking at the engine life and the miles, the year the truck is made, and the type of transmission it is. And from that point on, I will then look at what the, obviously what they're asking for because a year is a huge part of the price. And then also the engine miles is another huge portion of the price. And so right as I hit those type of uh, type of gauges and I'm like, okay, everything's kind of a green check right here. You know, it's, it's under, I like to get trucks that are under 600,000 miles, usually are under 500,000 miles because diesels can run millions if you take care of them and you can do an overhaul where that's pretty much rebuilding the engine. And you know, that it's quite expensive. So you want to get a truck that's usually under 500,000 or under 600,000. So you can get about a half a million miles out of it before you really have to do an overhaul. And so I look at that and then based off of that, let's just say, for example, my Peterbilt, it's a 2016, it's a 579, and it's a really good, those are really good trucks. I mean, they're they're a, like a fleet truck that some of the big companies have, and the engine it had gets pretty good gas mileage compared to other semis, but nowadays, I, I wish I was getting what my car gets. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's kind of what I look at is is the engine, the year, the type of uh, type of truck, and then the, it making sure it has a sleeper. So there's trucks that don't have sleepers, but I, I don't. If my even if my truck is running local, I want to make sure there's a bed in the back because if that truck ever goes on long haul loads, I want to make sure that it's all set up and ready to go. And then from that point on, I will just go check the market prices what I find online on different commercial sell sites. And then I'll kind of use what's in the area if there is any. And if like for my Peterbilt, there's nothing in the area like that. So I had a little bit more negotiation use on it. And it kind of just went from there. But at that time, the market was completely different than now. So that's another thing you have to put into consideration. That truck I bought for 32000 I could sell right now for ninety five if I really wanted to. It's very hard now, especially to gauge the pricing. But I try to stay under anywhere from seventy dollars to $50,000 for a truck. But there's uh, two trucks I'm looking at getting which one's in the 100,000 range and then another one's 200,000 and some change for but they're brand new. So that's the reason I'm willing to splurge on them because, you know, a new truck, less maintenance and, you know, just a, you know, higher payment of course and making sure that you can get approved. So is that 70 50,000 to 70,000 number that you you would normally like to use based kind of on lifetime value of the truck? Yeah, because I would look that that value would be anywhere with a truck that's anywhere from 450,000 miles to about 650,000 miles. And that gives me a good use out of it. I'm going to obviously be able to make my money back out of that truck. And then also it's not going to be terribly expensive like these you know, newer ones, but also that price range is usually a 2010 to 2017 price range-ish. And you know, you're going to have the less operating expenses with maintenance. Usually can't promise you always. <laughs> that's one of our biggest expenses is maintenance sometimes. And so that's pretty much what I can recommend when it comes to trucks. And like, I personally recommend the brands Peterbilt, Kenworth, uh, Freightliner, and I'm not a Volvo guy, but I would say Volvo and Mac are pretty good. So is Western star. So those are kind of the, the brands I, uh, I would, I would back up. 
And then how do you go about growing revenue as a trucking business? Obviously, your business, not quite at, at the end of year one here, has scaled very fast. So how do you how do you go about growing that revenue and scaling the company? Yeah. So for me, definitely buying more trucks is the number one way you scale your company. But another one is just meeting people and going out there. So I'll go like there's different trucking events. I got invited to go with another trucking company to uh, like pretty much like a show and expo out in Kentucky. That was huge. But I sadly couldn't because I have a million things going on. And so I was super sad because it was a huge networking opportunity. And so stuff like that, like network opportunities, finding new shipper and receiver clients because the people don't understand that trucks are literally what moves like 90% of America's freight. And so all the stuff that we have usually come on trucks and boxes and, or, you know, it's all, it's all getting transported. So there is so many people in every single town and city that's going to need some type of truck, whether it's a box truck or a caravan or a semi truck or, you know, a flatbed. It's, there's so many different types of trucking into. So the number one thing is definitely going to meet people finding new connections and wanting to build a relationship. And even if it's like, Hey, they don't need someone to be hauled, but you give them a business card, they're going to know somebody, you know, they're going to get in contact with you. And, you know, it's always nice knowing somebody like, it's kind of like the saying, it's always nice knowing somebody who has a truck when you need to move. It's like the same type of yeah. thing. Whenever you got to move something, it's nice knowing somebody with a semi truck. So it's kind of that same uh, type of deal where, you know, word of mouth gets around fast and you're going to start getting clients and just people you meet. Like, I didn't realize how many people I would meet that be like, yeah, I work somewhere. We might need your trucks or we might need this holder. Hey, can you come pick this up for us? Or I got a vehicle. I got to take this. Can you haul a vehicle? And and so what are those different services that you offer clients? Is it more based on you're talking to people, they're telling you what you need and then you offer it? Or is there kind of a set list of services that you're so you're I offer I offer out. four four trucking services right now. One is my biggest one that I started with was refrigeration services. So I can haul refrigerated food and chilled items, ice cream, you name it. So I and I can also put dry food in there of course, just turn off the refrigeration unit. So that's that's what I offer is the refrigeration and the f- frozen food uh, sector of trucking. I haul that and then we have a flatbed so I can haul construction materials, equipment, vehicles, that as well. And that's kind of what I second, secondly started with. And then the third one is power only where I'm able to haul other companies, trailers, do trailer interchange where somebody could have like, for instance, Amazon's one of probably the biggest client we have just because they're so huge. And they pretty much just have a bunch of trailers that they want moved to the different distribution centers. And so does FedEx and UPS. And we've hauled trailer, we've hauled mail for USPS as well. So it's just like, there's a lot of different freight in that power only sector where you're hauling other company trailers. So those are like kind of the three big ones we do. And then the last one is towing. We have a truck that's able to do towing and that's more local, but we've gone to deliver all around the the Pacific Northwest. So we've gone to deliver vehicles, even in Nevada, Idaho, Oregon, uh, Seattle, a bunch of times. And so it's worked out pretty good with cars as well. Are any of those services more profitable than others, or are they all more or less running on the same margins? They're all different, actually. Refrigeration pays the best in the summer. Flatbed pays the best usually in the in the. Well, I can't really actually say that because refrigeration pays really good end of the summer to the fall. And then the winter time, everything just pays good because the demand with Christmas and the holidays are so high. But then flatbed in the springtime is really, really good this year. I can't say about last year because I didn't do it too much, but talking with other people, it was pretty good. And then power only, that's what I recently got into this year. And that's usually just a year-round th- thing. The rates are really good in the rent- winter, though, as well because of the hazardous driving. 
is your monthly revenue, are you seeing more of a seasonal effect to that? Or what, I mean, what is the average monthly revenue that you're seeing well, from your trucking average business? Average monthly revenue, I would say is about $75,000 a month and goes up to in the summer, we'll easily be able to do like 120 now with our trucks when the rates are going to be going up during potato season because we haul potatoes with our refrigeration units all summer long from about end of July to about November is like just crazy with potato season. And then winter time is just crazy in general because everybody's wanting like, for instance, our highest paying load was Amazon. I shouldn't say the highest paying load, but it was the highest paid per mile load we did was from Portland, Oregon to Phoenix, Arizona. And that paid us like $9,000 to pull their trailer. And that was like a $6 a mile load because we got paid also for all of our fuel and they covered all of our expenses and then also detention waiting. So it was a lot more than the 9000 originally. So it ended up totaling to about like six bucks a mile. And that was for power only. And it was a super short trip and, and it was snowing outside. So that's why they were way, willing to pay that. And so that's the thing about the freight market is it changes every single week. There's some weeks where there's loads that are paying three bucks a mile. Sometimes it's four. And then there's other times where people are only wanting to pay $2.30 a mile. And a lot right now is due to the current ec- economic and global political state. And it's sad because, you know, fuel prices were really getting dinged on our profits this year currently. But it's been pretty good other than that. But we haven't had too much of a uh, too much of an issue keeping up because we're still in the position where we're still growing and we're still profiting. We just have to make sure our margins and expenses can get cut as much as possible. Yeah. What are those what are those kind of profit margins that you're seeing? And I mean, I guess essentially how much play do you have with with some of those variable expenses? So usually what I like to try to get gauge is about a 30% profit. Right now we're at about a 20% with with fuel. So let's just say our truck can do, and this is including all the expenses, permits, gas, insurance per truck and the driver pay. So if our truck's able to do $10,000 per week, which I like our trucks doing 10,000 per week is kind of my goal that I, that I hit. And so about $3,000 a week per truck and then times that by five, you know, that's $15,000 a week. And then times that by four, about 60,000 in profit a month is, is what I try to get. And so that's kind of our main goal to do. And so that's kind of the play we have, but a lot of times right now this year from ever since April to, to now has just been a lot of maintenance because it's getting that year rotation where we we're just wanting to get everything done and all of our yearly inspections and whatnot done on the trucks for, I should say, our fiscal year. And so that's kind of the main expenses we're running into. And besides that, though, yeah, I'm, I'm still working on, on about trying to keep that 30% margin. But when we get down to 20%, our profits turn into about 40000 per month if all the trucks are running on schedule like usual. On the finances front, what tools and or strategies are you using to both manage the finances and set financial goals for the business? Yeah. So we use QuickBooks as one of the biggest tools we use for financing. My brother does my financing for me. He's a financial major and was working at a commercial bank out in Spokane. And so he did all my bookkeeping while he still does. And we kind of come up with goals together because what we use the gauge is like, hey, the first load of the or the first week that we take loads of the month, how much can we do? And then we base it off that, hey, if we did it this week, how can we do that? You know, I try to throw a 30% margin on top of that. And what's the what's causing the holdback? And if it's like, hey, we had a lot of maintenance that was this week, we need to get three oil changes done. And then uh, we might have had a blown out tire like last last week or two weeks ago. I had like two blown out tires that happened on the same day. So that was something that we couldn't you know, gauge for because, you know, there's a metal shard in the road <laughs> blowing the tire. And so 
when we come up with that, we're like, okay, so let's let's use our margins. Let's try to do 30% more per week than we are. And we'll set these financial goals where it's like usually by numbers, like, hey, we did 7,000 this week on this truck. Let's try to get it to, you know, 10,000. And then let's count though for maintenance. So let's just plan on what we're going to be doing is about $6,000 this week profit after everything goes good with, with uh, the fuel and the driver pay and then permit cost or whatnot. And so let's just say we do that, then we'll try to times that by the amount of trucks. So whatever our highest making truck is, we'll times that by all the trucks after the profit, or, and then we'll also do the lowest making truck. We'll times that, and then we'll come up with a median number. And we'll just try to see if we can make sure that number stays on par for the rest of the month. But then our goal will try to always be 30% higher than the median. And that's kind of how we gauge how to make sure that we're on track and just keep growing faster. And using that, that makes it, you know, that it's kind of a mental thing because it motivates us to book more loads, be more on it, make sure that the schedules are done correctly. Uh, When a driver has a, let's just say a driver, for instance, is going to Texas, we usually don't have a load booked out until three days before he gets there because we want to make sure that there's nothing that's going to come up in there. So we won't message our clients or talk to our clients until they're about three day heads up. And then sometimes they're like, hey, well, we don't have any loads available there's a lot of different options because everybody needs trucks. We hop on these load boards or we call our past brokers that we've worked with, our other shippers, and then we you know, get that in. And so it's all really scheduling and the amount of expenses that can come in a week that really affect everything. And then really it's sometimes hard to schedule drivers because there's a lot of times where drivers will say, oh, well, I totally forgot to tell you I have a doctor's appointment on this day. And it's like, well, you know, that's great. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's, there's been about four or five times where it's happened where the driver schedule with stuff that couldn't really be rescheduled. And so that really does affect a week because then you're like, okay, well, now I got to find a load for the driver to get home. He's going to be off for three days. And then that's going to kind of be a big factor in the gross revenue. And so, like I said, we kind of try to take all of that in if that was going to happen and get our lowest number and then our highest number if everything goes great on planned find that median, try to hit that median, but we always throw a 30% figure over that that median to be on where we want to be at. And for on the logistics side of things with scheduling both drivers, drivers and loads, um, what, what tools are you using to handle that? Yeah, so I use a software called Camion, but my dispatchers use that. I use that, of course. And then I also use a thing called Motive, which is tracks our driver's GPS our uh, pretty much we can throw an ETA a city to city get an ETA add stops in there so that it also tracks our driver hours and that's a software in itself and so that's probably the three biggest tools is the uh, Camion Motive and then we use DAT as the third one is the DAT board that's a load board where brokers and different people will throw loads available on there and you pretty much just call them see if it's available negotiate a price or they'll call you because you can post your trucks on there as well and so there's a lot of different resources for getting clients as well and that's like the three main tools we use because that's scheduling booking and also on DAT board you can actually post your trucks and then make sure that you know people know your trucks available when it is. This is going to bring us to a section of our show that we call our fan blitz questions. So these, these questions come from our YouTube community. Go find Upflip on YouTube and you can submit your questions for future podcast guests. So a couple of quick hitters from our, from our, from our folks in the community for you. First off from Alan Harris, how are you coping with the gas prices? Yeah, gas prices are definitely tough. I have a uh, fuel discount cards I use. And so the fuel discount cards get me anywhere from 25 cents to 70 cents off a gallon. So that kind of helps quite a bit. But definitely fuel prices have been hurting, hurting the pockets this, uh, this past couple of months. 
Adam wants to know, uh, what's more profitable, delivering local or going over the road? Over the road, 100%. The reason I say that is you're going to do a higher revenue amount and higher dollar per load. But when you do local, you will usually get a higher per uh, mile rate. The only problem is when you're doing local, you can't do as much miles. So it kind of balances back. So you're going to be better off doing higher revenue, going over the road and doing that. And then uh, Dominic Lizarodka wants to know, uh, as, as an owner of a trucking business, what opportunities might exist in terms of software development for the trucking business? Oh, that's a great question. I'm actually working on logistics software right now with one of our other businesses that I'm a part of, which is a software startup. And so there's a lot of different software opportunities that will come, whether it's on the brokering side, the uh, the trucking management side, the dispatching side, or even the financial side, because there's not one software that does it all. And that's kind of my goal is to try to get one that works for our company and hopefully it works for others that can use it too. So there's definitely a lot of software opportunity and logistics and time management as well. I also want to give a shout out to Oscar Oratega and Willard Kafaga, who, who submitted questions that we actually answered earlier in the episode about starting capital for, for trucks and how you raised that first money. So, so if you've made it here uh, without hearing the first part of the episode, go back and check that out because great answers for Mikhail there. That's going to do it for the Fan Blitz questions. Again, these come from the Upflip YouTube community. Go find us on YouTube at Upflip. Join the community and submit your questions for future guests. A few more questions for you, for me, Mikhail. Uh, number, let's see here. Let's 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 talk a little bit about. You own multiple businesses. You own five businesses. You just mentioned you got you got some software development going on as well. Yeah. Um, how do you manage the workload of owning multiple businesses? Yeah. So I th- with uh, with trucking is probably the main time consuming. So is my construction business. And so what I do is I have different schedules for the like the dispatchers I have. And then I just hired a uh, person who's doing all my scheduling and uh, pretty much fleet management, who's actually my girlfriend. And so she's going to start working directly with me to get all that done. And so that's going to help out quite a bit. And then with construction right now, I do a lot of the hands-on stuff. I'll go to the job sites, deliver the equipment there. And then I have that scheduled in my day for everything where we have our jobs from this time to this time. Every morning from uh, 6am to about 9am is pretty much just trucking. And then with that too, on the weekends, that's when I do the software talks where we, we get up on our Zoom calls. We manage our schedules and talk about the new ideas and talk with our developers and, and whatnot. And then pretty much other days for real estate, I meet up with my friend Deal. We both have different schedules, so we plan week to week. That can change. And then I somehow fit in my week to meet with other clients or customers or just other businesses. You know, everyone kind of likes to mingle and go to lunch. And so I, I make time during the week for, for that. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your businesses and wanted to walk away from them? Uh, yes, definitely a lot. There's some, there's like, I think the month of April really was the stress test and trial of owning a trucking company where it was, you have so much growth going on and now that your expenses are really catching up because you have, you know, it's kind of that time in your business where you, you're growing almost too fast, but not fast enough. And it's like, there's a lot of expenses that come up, but you know, you're still waiting on your uh, profit to go back on, on your investments that you've made. And that was definitely that time. And that was very stressful because we had every single maintenance problem you can imagine like went wrong in April. And then we got that corrected in May. May was a really good month. And then June was a pretty good month. And then I'm hoping that with our July uh, renewing insurance, we're going to see a lot of decrease on our fiscal expenses too, which is going to be great. So 
it's a definitely was a a trial in April. And that was the time when I was like, should I just sell my trucks? But at the end (laughs) of the day, I just got to remember that, you know, got to work hard as you can and, you know, we're going to make it happen and keep pushing. Your TikTok tracker videos are are very popular. Are they an effective marketing tool for the trucking business? Yeah, actually finding drivers was an extremely easy from TikTok. I had a lot of people reach out to me wanting to drive for me, but I was like stacked up on drivers. And I was like, man, the time I like didn't need drivers, I got all these people messaging me. But yeah, it was really good for for getting notoriety. And I actually, what's crazy is the compliance company I, I hired to help out with some of our government compliance, you know, paperwork and filings we had to do just to help take some of the workload off. The lady at the front office and the, the guy who owns it knew who I was based off TikTok. And it was like really funny because he's like, hey, could I ask you a question? Do you by any chance make any trucking TikToks? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. They're like, I recognized your voice. And I was like, it's crazy. So it's definitely uh, helped out with uh, just, you know, even meeting people and, and using that because some people really do care about, you know, the views and the notoriety. So it, it's a conversation starter because someone will be talking about they do social media or marketing and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did, you know, TikToks that, that blew up and stuff. And like, oh, man, I want to ask you, how, how do you get viral on TikTok? And then it leads into what I do. And then they might tell you they know somebody who wants to drive or a lot of people who drive trucks I've met just based off pretty much TikTok. And then a few other brokers that I've met as well actually reached out to me and gave me a call and they said, hey, I saw your TikTok and I want to see if you can actually haul some loads for us. And that there's a guy that I know really well who lives in Austin who just found me on TikTok and he gives me loads and I haul it for him. So that's uh, definitely definitely social media is an is a important tool. So what other, what other social platforms are you using? I use your- Instagram and Facebook. Are those the, the platforms you'd recommend for, for someone else who was looking to start a trucking company? Yeah, definitely. Facebook's a big one. You're going to have to use Facebook. I would just say Facebook is probably the number one just because the age the age demographic of people in the trucking industry is definitely Facebook. And then Instagram again, just because you can show more picture-based and, and kind of updates of what you're doing, a lot more live. And then TikTok is really more, I would say, for informational and for you can make connections on TikTok. I just don't think TikTok is to a point where you're going to be massively profitable with leads on there, but it doesn't hurt. And like I said, I've made so many different connections, finding drivers and uh, even meeting brokers and different people who are in the trucking industry. So there's really a balance. And I think using those three are going to be probably the best bet to use them all three at the same time. What is the overall marketing and advertising strategy for Sandlines? Is it, is it really social based or what's the, what's the best way for a trucking company to reach new customers? I would say definitely social based is going to talk to people. You're going to have to be doing a lot of the initiating, making phone calls. Like I said, stepping out of line and and lows to go talk to people who work at a place you want to haul for. And I think making those goals where you're like, hey, these are clients I want to get because they have a lot of shipments going. And if I can be reliable and show them who I am, you know, that's I think that's like the best way is just talking to people and making those phone calls. But another time is too is making sure that you're out there on on Facebook throwing throwing ads. Even when you're requesting drivers, someone might say, oh, you're looking for CDL drivers, you have a truck. Well, shoot, let me give them a call and say, hey, you got a trucking company or um, even with like towing and stuff. A lot of people have called me out of the blue and say, hey, you you do you know towing, are you, are you able to haul vehicles? And I'm like, yeah, we, that's another service we provide. And then they, you know, have us saved in their contacts. So whenever they need, they just, you know, go from there. So, but definitely social based and people who you know, and making sure to uh, to be active when you meet somebody, and and definitely uh, be willing to do the work. You made mention earlier that you're you're 
looking to add another truck, you talked about having a lot of drivers on the roster, too many when people started reaching out via TikTok. And how do you know when it's time to, to expand the employee base for your trucking company? I would say it's when to expand the employee base is when you're getting overwhelmed with your work. Like for me, I was getting overwhelmed with dispatching, you know, four trucks. So I was like, well, shoot, I got to get, you know, somebody else on here to come help me. So I started looking for a dispatcher. I hired one from a driver recommended me who turned out to be the worst decision I've ever made. Just, uh, you know, when you hire employees, you're going to have to go through that. Just, you know, bad communication. It was a really fun. So definitely uh, the time where it, it did suck when hiring, but I knew I needed to hire someone because I was, like I said, it was getting so busy where I was spending like four to five hours just dispatching during the day. And I'm like, well, if I can hire this out, you know, you know, pay about $20 an hour, someone wants to work from home, definitely a good position. So I was like, well, sweet, do it. Found a dispatcher. Now with getting onto our sixth truck here soon, it's a uh, you know, time for, for like fleet management. And then luckily finances have been since January done by my brother. So it's been easy to do that. So I can really focus on the growth aspect of getting no, more customers, clients, working on other businesses as well. What traits or skills do you think makes someone an exceptional leader specifically in the trucking industry? I'd say honesty and integrity, which some people think they're the same, but they're they're definitely different. And then being uh, strong-minded when you can uh, to take on multiple tasks at once or face different issues or conflicts. And then another one would be definitely communication skills. And another one I would say is just time management. So those are like the, the top gauge that I could say is the most important. I want to talk uh, real quick about repairs. Uh, how much should a new trucking company owner be budgeting for repairs in a typical year? At least 15% to 20%, I'd say, just for repairs. And whether you don't use that or not, you're going to want to keep that in the savings because you never know when you're going to have to spend repairs. And do you have do you have someone on staff to handle repairs or do you take that to an outside company? I have a, a contracted mechanic who's a, he's a freelance mechanic, like he owns his mobile truck repair. I have two of them, but I just use them on and off. And then I have different connects in each. So each city in America, pretty much I have another mechanic. So in, in Seattle area and on the, in Olympia, Washington, I have a mechanic that I like to use. And then I have one in uh, Texas that kind of does all kind of Texas. I have one in Iowa. Then I got one in California that's in Southern California and then I have two here in Pasco, Washington, where we're based out of that I use quite often. And how do you vet those those mechanics? I mean, is that all all referral, word of mouth? Yeah, from- one that I use quite often named Joel. He, I met from the guy I was actually meeting with to buy my fourth truck. When I bought my fourth truck, I was meeting with a guy and I had a water pump that went out on the truck I was driving and because uh, I was doing a load myself that time. And so he ended up calling this mechanic and he was really good, got it done. I just been using him quite often and he's been really good. He's somewhat reliable. He's a really busy guy. So it's sometimes hard to get him uh, to come when, when we need because the time you need the mechanics is when your trucks decide to. So <laughs> it's definitely not something you can gauge. What's your biggest struggle right now with your business? I would say being a people pleaser because you want to please everybody, but there's times where you're growing and you have a vision and you can't, you know, like I have a, a group of, I have a two drivers who really want to get into a semi truck, like a, like at the newer trucks we're getting, but I can't control the wait time. So a lot of stuff we're waiting on due to parts. So I'd say definitely the biggest struggle is waiting on getting into, uh, getting our new trucks because of the wait time and the economy we're in where it's very high priced parts are long weighted so definitely just being patient on mechanical parts and also new equipment if you could go back to when you got Santline started yeah um, and do do anything differently uh, what would you change and how might that have impacted your growth 
I would have definitely probably financed a lot more than I than I did. Um, I try to spend as much cash on everything as possible, but I definitely should have financed more. Another thing I would have done would have been uh, making sure I did a lot more research on the different rules and regulations with like the clearinghouse. That's when you hire drivers to make sure they're enrolled in a drug and alcohol program. Learning about all the different requirements from audit standpoint that a lot of people overview, and then really studying you know, business credit. And obviously I knew about that and that's why I ended up going throughout for getting that loan on that truck. But I, I really should have uh, tried to do more financing and, and building that up because, you know, cash is king in this industry and the more cash you have at once is, is, you know, the best thing you can do. What's the next goal for St. Lines? Next goal is to keep getting more trucks. I mean, I'm looking at getting a warehouse in Arizona and I want to move my company actually to Arizona and get an LLC out there and keep the sand lines, obviously, but it would be having a storage, a storage warehouse out in Arizona and park our sand lines trucks out there and then possibly move sand lines LLC to an Arizona LLC and then uh, run operation out of there and have our same place out here. So looking to have probably split the fleet up three out in Arizona, then three up in here with six trucks. It, but at that time, I think we're going to have probably eight or nine, possibly 10 trucks. So keep a good amount and just have them back, bounce back and forth because we got a lot of business out of Arizona and it's very tax and trucking company friendly. And so that's definitely, uh, I think the next big goal for Sandlines is uh, going out to Arizona and expanding out there, but then also keep increasing the truck in fleet amount and drivers and, you know, then offering employee benefits is what I'm looking at getting here after this year, once the new uh, tax year comes on uh, out in, uh, so next January. So trying to treat our guys better and, uh, and, you know, keep moving from there and being that company that people want to work to and work with. More broadly, and uh, last question here, what's your process for setting effective business goals? Obviously, you've accomplished quite a bit in a lot of different industries. So how do you go about setting those goals? Yeah, so financially is definitely the one the one thing you have to be have to have your goals with is the financial goals is number one is making sure we hit our financial markers. And then from there, once we hit our financial markers, that gauges, you know, how much we can really grow. And then that opens up like, hey, how many trucks are we going to try to get this year? Well, right now we've gotten two trucks this year. So let's now I want to it's only been less than half or it's been half a year now. But now I want to see if we can get three trucks this, you know, the rest of the year. And so that's kind of where my goals come into play. Let's get our finances for the month. And the first month or whatnot or uh, the first week. And then from there, let's plan financially. And then from that point, we can decide, hey, do we want to get another truck or another trailer? Do we want to get into another industry or type of commodity that we're hauling? And that's kind of the gauge that that we hit is the financial first and then see what we can do with the financials. And then that'll go into you know getting another truck. And right now, our biggest focus is just keep expanding the fleet. That's going to do it for this episode of the UpFlip podcast. Again, as always, uh, you can find us here every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you just share it with a friend uh, who who has an entrepreneurial streak as well. Uh, check us out on YouTube, UpFlip on YouTube there, and go over to the blog, upflip.com slash blog, where we are constantly interviewing in all of those places, fascinating entrepreneurs like Mikhail Sant of Sant Lines. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us this week. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Anytime. time.